0: Our text comes from Ephesians chapter number 4 and beginning in verse number 11. Hopefully you have your Sunday school lessons, your, the notes that are in the book there. We are on lesson number 9. The title of it is The Censored Mind. The Censored Mind. I'm going to back up just a little bit because uh, if I get too far under that speaker it gets a little ringy. Um, so, the Censored Mind, uh, our text for this morning, Ephesians four, eleven through 18 follow along as I read this here. He says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statutes of the fullness of Christ, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. So we have here... The notes, uh, the, the text, the reference. We're going to walk through this passage of scripture and apply it to our course of study this morning. Uh, but the idea this morning is a censored mind. A censored mind. I have a pack of filters here. Uh, these are FPR five. FPR uh, stands for filter performance rating. Uh, the that's a uh, Home Depot rating, uh, the MERV rating that you'll see at other places uh, is the industry standard. Home Depot came up with their own, and they call it FPR, Filter Performance Rating. But a five, I'll tell you that this particular set of filters will will capture and, and catch uh, dust and, and uh, lint and pollen, pet dander, uh, even dust mites and derbs. So it's a pretty good filter. The, the FPR ratings go uh, from... The lowest number i think is a four but they go from four to ten with ten being the greatest level of filtration the problem is the more level of filtration you have the sooner you have to change your filters because it catches every single little thing and then the filter gets clogged and then your air conditioner freezes over right but uh it catches everything you just have to put a new one in more often. So it depends on what you want or if you do the standard the ones that look like a uh, like a mesh, you know, those little real cheap ones you stick in there. They don't catch much, but they work. They you can leave them in there for a long time. So <laughs> whatever you want to do, <laughs> but there are many filters uh, available today. There's filters for everything. It's like I was talking to my kids about insurance the other day, and and we were talking about the insurance we we're paying for, and they said. Uh, oh, is that life insurance? I said, no, that's just medical insurance. And then they have life insurance, and then they have uh, car insurance and homeowner's insurance and landlord insurance and renter's insurance, and you have uh, disability insurance and long-term care insurance. And I said, there's a lot of insurances you can pay for. Welcome to life, you know. This is the way it is. But there's a lot of different filters. you got uh, oil filters uh, for your car. I've got a hydraulic filter on my log splitter, uh, air filters for our air conditioners, Uh, Those of you that had a cup of coffee this morning, uh, that coffee went through a filter uh, to drain out the, the granules, right? They've got filters for that. Actually, the water that was used to make the coffee went through a couple of filters before it came out the tap here. We have a large sediment filter that we use first before it comes in from the well uh, to get us clean. And then when it comes out of there, before it comes to the building, it's filtered. And then if you get it from one of the refrigerators or one of the drinking, like the drinking fountain, that has its own dedicated filter on it. And uh, just to make sure we're getting very clean, purified water that's available for the church family. So the filters, what it does is it blocks out things that you don't want. It blocks out things that are harmful, things that you want to try and capture and keep out of your life. And you know what? The Holy Spirit serves as a filter for us as Christians to help censor, to help protect the mind of the believer. There's things in this world that should not be entering the mind of the believer, and the Holy Spirit helps to protect us from those things. And this process of filtering our mind makes it possible, Romans sixteen nineteen tells us, for us to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So we should, in our life as believers, continually becoming more and more wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning evil. You know, it's not the best thing for a Christian to actually know everything that's going on in the world. It's not really, you're not filtering much if you happen to know who the latest artist is on the top 10 charts. If you know who the, 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 premier rap singer is today in the world, and I I have no idea about even who's out there, let alone who happens to be on top right now. I mean, if those are the things that you know, you're not filtering your mind very much. You're consuming and taking in. If you know who the number one movie star is today or what movie made so much at whatever box office thing that happens to be going on, what I'm saying is this world, there's a lot of things that we can take in in this world, but Christians, we ought to be filtering some of that. We shouldn't just be consuming and bringing in everything that the world pushes on us. And it is pushed on us in today's world, in society, through advertising and uh, the different devices you have. Constantly things are being pushed to you, pushed to you, pushed to you. And, uh, you know, you're getting all kinds of that inundation from the world. So the filter we need to have, the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what the idea of a censored mind is. So we see here, first of all, according to our text, that uh, one thing that helps us with this filtering process is the gift of God called men. The gift of called men. Men that God brings into our lives that help us. The church is used by God to help build people. The church helps build people. He tells us here in verse number 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers... These are gifts that God gave to the church to help God's people to live and be directed and to be encouraged, to be edified, to be helped in the Christian life that God has us in. Now, He tells us here a couple of things just in in this verse here, just to help us get some understanding about it. I want you to know that He, first of all, He gave us what I'm going to call the Holy Scriptures, He gave us the Scriptures. And I'm going to apply the scriptures to this fact of the first thing here, he gave some apostles and some prophets. I would liken the apostles to the New Testament and the prophets to the Old Testament. Uh, the 12 apostles given to us by God were men who, by the, according to the word of God, in order to be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of his resurrected body. You had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, because there are, there's nobody alive today that was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, we don't have apostles today in the true biblical sense of the term. Now, there's some people that like to call themselves apostles. I'm apostle so-and-so or whatever. But you understand, according to the biblical sense of the term, that they have to have seen the resurrected Christ to be an apostle to have the power, to have the authority, to have the uh, direct connection to God that the apostles had, that had to be uh, like those in the New Testament. Let me read for you what Wearsby said about this. He said, the word means, this is apostle, one who is sent with a commission. The apostles were given witness of the resurrection of Christ, Acts chapter one, verses 15 through 22. And therefore had to have seen the resurrection of Christ personally. There are no apostles today in the strictest New Testament sense. Of course, in a broad sense, all Christians should have an apostolic ministry that is one sent with a commission. We believe in the Great Commission. We believe God has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So in that sense, he's saying everybody should have an apostolic ministry. Everybody should be fulfilling the Great Commission. But in the true sense of the New Testament, he said there are no apostles in the strictest sense of the New Testament. Um, And he goes on, he says, as my father has sent me, even so send I you but we must not claim to be apostles. So I, I apply the apostles to the New Testament, and then we see the, he gives some prophets. Likewise, the prophets uh, that are listed here are no longer needed because we have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the Word of God. We have all of the Old Testament prophets that are there for our learning and our edification. Again, you say, well, you know, Pastor Caleb, who are you to say this or that? It's what I've always believed. It's what I've been taught Uh, but I'm really nobody, so let me give you somebody who's much wiser than me uh, and knows the Bible much better than me. Uh, Weir and Wiersbe said this, we commonly associate a prophet with predictions of future events, but this was not his primary function. A New Testament prophet is one who proclaims the word of God. Christians today do not get their spiritual knowledge immediately from the Holy Spirit through divine revelation as Old Testament prophets did, but meditatively through the scriptures. So he's saying, listen, we like the Old Testament prophets were given divine revelation from God to put down on scripture that other people should learn and be edified by, we do not have prophets today in that sense. We get our instruction from God by meditating on the word of God that he's already given us, it's provided here. He says here, by meditating thoroughly uh, and through the Spirit that teaches us the Word, with the apostles and the prophets, the foundational ministry of the early church. They were the foundational ministry of the early church, and they are not needed today. So, when we're talking about the apostle and the prophets, what we're talking about is he's given us the Word of God. He's given us the completed canon of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is what we need now. Um, Let me tell you, you're bound for heresy in a hurry when you try and open up the canon of Scripture. What I'm saying is when you get to the place where you believe that I receive direct communication from God and God is going to give me, not not God talks to us, God leads us, but he's never going to lead you contrary to the Scripture. He's not going to give you divine revelation that supersedes this book. He's not going to give you new revelation uh, where you can speak ex cathedra and say, this is God's new plan for mankind. No, his plan is settled. It's given to us in the book. New plan for mankind is not going to come that's very clear according to the word of God. And he's not going to give you direction that's contrary to the word of God. Uh, The Holy Spirit is never going to reveal anything to you or give you any direction that is contrary to the revealed Word of God, okay? So we've got to be careful about that and and be cautious that we don't uh, open ourselves up for that. So not only does he give us the Holy Scriptures, but he's also given us some human speakers, some people to help us understand the scriptures, to uh, preach the word of God to us, and he calls those here the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the evangelist, uh, evangelists are fun, they're exciting. Uh, They are to evangelize and encourage the church and the believers. You could say the evangelist, his gifts are centered around the salvation of souls. Really, that's the, he's been given the gift of evangelism, and uh, the reaching of the lost. His gifts probably center around that. Now they do a lot of other aspects, but that would be the kind of the focal point of their ministry. The evangelist, they are bearers of good news. These men travel from place to pray, place and preach the gospel. God uses them to win the lost. Now all ministers should be evangelists. Amen. We all should be reaching the lost. That's the truth. But there are some people, you know, are more gifted in that area. God has blessed them. And then some men are called to fulfill that role and to be evangelists. But then he's also given some pastors and teachers. And I know that I'm a long ways from your notes, but I just want you to understand this scripture that we just read. I didn't want to just read the scripture and, and run through it and go on to the next thing. I know there's None of this is in your notes, so you just have to write in the margins if you want some of it, but uh, I want you to see the pastors and teachers, their job is to edify and equip the church. That's what they're called to do. They're called to be here, called to labor. The The evangelist, he comes in and holds a week of meetings, and he's gone and goes on to the next church or to the next town or whatever, but the pastor, teachers, are called to be here. They're called to serve, edify, and equip the church. You could say his gifts are centered around sanctification. So the evangelist's gifts are centered around salvation, reaching the lost. The pastor and teacher's gifts are centered around uh, sanctification, that process. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But uh, now every pastor should be involved in evangelizing. He should be winning the lost. And in some respects, evangelists uh, are also edifying the church and encouraging the church to, to, you know, love and good works. But where is their focus? Where is their, their calling? What is it God has gifted them to do? And so the pastor is to be a shepherd. He's to lead and feed the flock, according to Acts chapter 20, 28. He says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So he says there to take heed to yourselves, uh, take heed to the flock, that is just guard it, protect it, watch over it. That's the job of the pastor. He's supposed to be doing that. And he says to feed the church of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a pastor. That's Acts 20, 28, the job of, of a pastor. Now, God's people should be receiving the word of God every week. We should be receiving the word of God, not not entertainment. That's not what church is for. There's a lot of things in this world that are centered, and focal point is entertaining people. The church—that's not what the church is called to do. The church is to to feed the people. The church is to edify and equip the people to do what God has called and wants them to do. You know, this last week uh, I was going through Sam's Club, and I saw a 12-inch pecan pie. And I said, you got to have pecan pie at Thanksgiving. I mean, just got to. That's not what I was in Sam's Club for. (laughs) But that is what I bought at Sam's Club. (laughs) I came home with a 12-inch pecan pie. This was about three days before Thanksgiving. Well, the next day, I had been here in the office working all day, and uh, it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I went home, and I hadn't eaten any lunch yet. And it was... (laughs) <laughs> it was it was some hours before supper and that pecan pie was sitting right there on the counter and I says, We better see if that pecan pie is good, right? We're gonna check it out. So I had a big helping of pecan pie. And it was delicious. I enjoyed it. I didn't even know we had whipped cream later. Mary told me we got whipped cream in the fridge. I said, Man, I wish I'd have known that. Now I gotta have another piece, amen. <laughs> but although that's good, you can't live on pecan pie. I mean, you just can't live on that. You've got to have some good food. And uh, we've got to be careful that our churches are not built around entertainment. You can't live spiritually on just entertainment. The message of God, I work hard to make the messages engaging. That's what this illustration was about. To make it engaging. But I also work hard to try and make sure it's not just entertaining. I want the messages of the Word of God to be Bible-centered, to be Bible-focused. This is what has the power to change lives. Not a story, not an illustration. Those things help make it practical, and I am a very practical person. I don't know how to be any other way. I'm a pretty practical, down-to-earth guy. That's just who I am. But I always, in my preparation and my study, if I look through my notes, and I have a page of notes, and I don't have scripture in there, I go, I said, there's something wrong. Because there's, this should be focused around scripture, not focused around a story, or around illustrations, or around long application. The scripture should be the focal point. And so I'll go back and say, what, what, what can I cut out of here, and where can I put scripture in here? Because it needs to be focused around scripture, and it's something that I strive to do. I work hard to not be uh, the... I know you guys have probably all seen it where somebody got up to preach and they said, well, let's read our text today. And they read one verse in the book of Psalms and then they preached for an hour and never again did you look at the word of God. Never again. And and what they were preaching on was probably a stretch from the text. Like you didn't even, you never even thought about it again. And sometimes those messages are engaging uh, and maybe even entertaining. But I, I, I want to make sure that we're always pointing to the scripture. That's what I strive for. I, I work in the messages to make sure that, I mean, yes, they need to be engaging. And I don't want you to come in and just be falling asleep all the time. You know, just, man, I wish Pastor had a story once in a while. I wish he, I wish he had something to help us focus because, you know, so there needs to be a balance there. But, boy, we've got to be very careful that we don't drift towards entertainment and away from edification, because it's the word of God that edifies and that's where the focus needs to be that's the job of the pastor in Titus chapter 1 verse number 3 he says but he but hath in due times manifest his word through preaching The Word of God is to be manifested through preaching. So preaching is right. Preaching is what we're supposed to do. This is uh, what God has called the pastor and teachers to do to, to preach, but it's to preach the Word, to be instant in season and out of season. That's what we want to do. Now, I know not all preachers do it right. And I know I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here because what I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace and there's times that I'm weak and I fail and even in my preparation uh, I might preach a message that's a little bit weak on the, the textual side and uh, a stretch and in my mind when I was preparing it it sounds really good. I've gone back and looked at some of the messages I preached in 2014 and 2015, and I'm like, oh my goodness, the, God's people must have been like, oh, let's pray for pastor, <laughs> let's pray for pastor. As I'm like, boy, the church was so patient with me and gracious as, as uh, I was growing and learning. And, and so I, I'm saying, I know that sometimes there's pastors that don't do it right, and sometimes they, they, they get off on the wrong, and I know there's pastors that are hypocrites, just like there's people in the pew that are hypocrites, Right. That's 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 the way it is. But I want to encourage you. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't give up on God or give up on the church because of one or two that you've known that haven't done it right, because there are some men that love God and are trying to do it right, understanding they're just sinners saved by grace, just like you and I. And uh, they're 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 doing their best. They're not on purpose you know, doing something. Maybe they've been trained a little bit wrong or or they've come to uh, a t- particular pattern that's not really right and they could use some instruction and some help, but let's not uh, be too hard on them. I want you to see letter B here in your notes there. The congregation has been prepared. Uh, God loved the church and gave himself for it. The church of God. God loved the church and gave himself for it. He wants the Christian to be victorious and he's given the church to help that come to fruition. Now, God does not need you and I to build the church. He says, I will build my church, but you and I need the church to build our lives. Okay, does that make sense? God does not need us to build the church, but we as God's people, by God's design, he loved the church, and we need what the church offers, the spiritual Christian, We need that to be what God wants us to be. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 8. Write this down underneath the notes there. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of the God. The preaching of the cross. We come into God's house. We come into the church. And the preaching, some people look at it and say, Boy, this is foolishness. But to us, we know that God is using it to shape our lives. God is using it to encourage us in this Christian walk. God is strengthening us and helping us to be what we need to be. And we need preaching. Preaching should have a priority in our life. Even in our churches sometimes, and I have got to hurry, but in our churches sometimes there's not a priority put on preaching. And I don't mean from the pulpit, and I don't mean from a general way of speaking. I'm talking about in our individual lives. Especially when you get active and you get busy working for the Lord, serving God in different ministries here at the church. Um, it's amazing how many people have things to do as soon as the preaching starts. You know, we get up and, and, okay, turn in your Bibles too, and three or four people get up and walk out of the auditorium. They've got something they've got to do right now, right when the preaching happens. Oh, they've got to get something ready for this, or they've got to, you know... Something for the ushers or something for uh, the nurseries or something for the, there's all kinds of things. And, And I'm not saying those are sinful or wrong things. There's work that needs to be done. There's lots of people serving. we got a large, we got a very serving church. Probably every one of you here just about have responsibilities here at the church. But we individually, personally, have to put a priority on the preaching. You have to decide in your heart. Listen, if I have something I need to do, I'm going to do it during the song service. I'm going to get it done during handshaking time. I'm going to get it done during the, because the preaching of the word's coming, and that's I need to be in God's in the auditorium to hear the preaching. Not not saying oh well uh, I'll get this done during the preaching. I mean we need to put a personally we need to put a priority on that for us because we know that it's what God wants us to do to hear the preaching of the word. God has called some men to preach, and He's called others to let that edify and strengthen us. One day, the preacher's going to give an account for what he preached. But you know what? One day, the people are going to give an account for what they did with what was preached. Whether it was disregarded or it was used or, or uh, they followed and, and did what God wanted them to do. They learned the lessons that God had for them. So we see here, secondly, uh, through the goal of a Christ-like maturity through Christ-like maturity. That should be the goal of every Christian life. We know to be conformed into his image, to be made like Christ, to be maturing as a believer. Somebody said, few women admit their age, and even fewer men act it. Our goal ought to be to, to be mature believers That should be our path, our desire, not just to exist as a Christian, but to be growing. And that's what we see in our text here, that God gave us apostles, evangelists, uh, prophets, teachers, these things. Why did he do that? He says in verse number 12, he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is why God gave us these men. This is why the church is set up. This is why we have the word of God for these purposes. And I don't have time to break all those down and talk about that further. We see letter A there in your notes, a mandate for service, uh, that we ought to be serving God. For whom he did foreknow, Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be made the firstborn among many brethren, that we should be conformed into the image of God's son, that through life we should become more like Christ, that we should be more Uh, spiritual, more godly. Now, everybody in their Christian life is in one of three places. And by and large, as we get into this, you'll understand. But uh, the Christian life begins with what? You tell me. Salvation. So, There are some who are lost that their Christian life hasn't begun yet because they haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. But at the moment of salvation, that's when your Christian life begins. That is, according to the Bible, the new birth. You've been born again. Your Christian life now just begins uh, at salvation. So we've got those that have just been born. They would be considered babes in Christ. And then you immediately begin or enter a process that's called sanctification, and we mentioned that, that earlier, but sanctification. This is the process through which we become more like Christ, where we grow as believers, where we are changed into the image of his son. Sanctification. I want you to know that, and we're going to get to this last one in a minute, but the conclusion of this is glorification. So everybody here, if we set a timeline up and we set salvation here, right here at the uh, organ, if we set that up and we put glorification, when we are in heaven and we are given our final glorified bodies, we put that all the way over here. Everybody in here is somewhere between, sancti- between salvation and glorification. We are in the process of sanctification. Now, I want you to know that this is not a linear process that takes place based on age. It's not all of a sudden, oh, I've been saved one year, now two years, now three years, now four years, now five years, now six years, and I'm moving towards glorification. Now you are one day, you don't have, you don't know when that day's coming. We're all moving towards that day where we're going to be glorified. But the process of sanctification where we are changed into the image of God's son, we are made more like Christ, is a process that's not based on age, it's based on growth. And there are some people that have been saved many, many years and they are still right here. Here's saved. They've been saved a long time, but they have not grown spiritually. They have not taken any steps to be more like Christ. There are things in their life that were in their life when they were lost and they're still there. They haven't made those changes. There's things that they know God wants them to do and they haven't taken a step to do them. They're still a babe in Christ even though they've been saved 4, 5, six, 10, 15, whatever it is. Now, there's some people that have only been saved two or three years, but they got saved and they said, man, this is what I want. Hallelujah. Give it to me. Feed me. Let me know what I need to do. I'm going to do it. Oh, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Yeah, I'm going to put that off. I'm letting go of that. I'm going to put off and put on, according to Ephesians chapter number four, uh, the put off and put on chapter, the things we're supposed to let go and the things we're supposed to do. And so in their life, they're way over here in the process of sanctification, only though, even though they've only been saved a few years. Does that make sense? So that's the process we're all in. And what happens is we've got to use the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to filter things out of our life that aren't supposed to be there so that this process of glorific- or sanctification takes place in accordance to God's will. We see the establishment of this in verse number 14. In our text, he says, "...that we henceforth be no more children." Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You see, you grow in the Lord. You no longer are you tossed to and fro. You become stable and sound in your, in your faith and how you trust God. The filter cuts out those things, those men, those cunning craftiness. You're not tossed to and fro by that. Why? The filter cuts that out. The slight of men, those men that uh, try and deceive you, uh, the filter cuts that out. And we see in verse number 15 and 16, the edification that's supposed to take place. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body, this is talking about the church now, is fitly joined together and compacted, that is, agreed together that they're going to fulfill the work of God, and every joint supplieth according to the effectual work in the measure of every part. That is, every part has a job to do, and they work together to fulfill the job. And so, in this process of edification, we see there's communication that takes place. You know, we're supposed to communicate with love. Uh, love, <clears throat> here, let me say, we, we want to preach the truth, amen? What does he say here? But speak the truth, what? In love. We are to speak the truth in love. Do you know truth without love is just mean? It might be truth, but truth without love is mean. And everybody says, amen. We don't want to be mean. I can't stand mean preachers. But love without truth is meaningless so we need the truth and that's a balance that god has to give us and it's it's something that really gifted by god for men that can can effectively communicate truth with love we've got to ask god for that the help to do that because men need the truth but we've got to do so with love. That's what we're called to do, the communication there. Then we see the compacting together, the agreement that we agree together to fulfill the work of the ministry. And then between, somewhere between salvation and glorification, we're on this process of sanctification, and our goal should be to mature, to allow the filter of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to censor our mind, that we keep things out that shouldn't be there because we want to be like him. And then we see glorification given to us in our text here. It's in verse 13. It's kind of right in the middle of what we just went over. But we see in verse number 13, he says, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. When are we going to be like Christ? When we get there, amen. Amen. Until then, we've got to battle this old flesh. Until then, we're going to take two steps forward for God and be excited about it. And old soufla, he's going to come and attack us and we're going to take a step back and we're going to be mad and we're going to say, Lord, help me do right. And we're going to take two or three steps for God and we're going to battle the flesh and then we're going to take a step back and you're just so frustrated and, oh, Lord, help me. But hopefully as you're going through this life, you're starting to make some progress. And although you might fall a little bit, you've come back to here, but you're still... Praise God, I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I was. Amen? And that's the process of sanctification that takes place in the Christian life. And it is an ongoing battle, a daily battle that we have to do. And, of course, the filter really helps with that. We see letter B here that you have a measuring stick. The measuring stick is not what other people think of you. The measuring stick is, is not how do you stand up next to uh, Bradley. What is Bradley the measuring stick? No, the word of God and Jesus Christ is the measuring stick, God's word, and he's uh, what we're to be striving to be like. So lastly, through the grieving over corrupted morality, through grieving over corrupted morality, Christian, we ought to be disturbed about the vile, wicked state of our society. This, this the corrupted morality that's out there something that should bother us deeply. It shouldn't just be something that's careless and okay, Sarah Sarah, whatever. Uh, no, we are the, supposed to be salt and light in this world and light dispels darkness and men love darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. We see the presence of darkness is there. There's no disputing that. Nobody's questioning that. That's not what's, what the discussion is. There's definitely a presence of darkness. He says here... In uh, verse 17 and 18 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says, This I say then and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Beloved, the saved have a new walk. Its salvation begins with repentance. It changes our life Old things are passed away. All things are become new. God begins that process of sanctification in our life. And although it's a process, it begins. Salvation, there should be a change in a person's life. A truly born again child of God is going to be grieved over the wickedness that's all around them. It's going to bother them. They're not going to be looking for an excuse to participate in it. They're going to be grieved and broken over it and want to do all they can to get away from it. That's what the Spirit of God does in your heart. The saved have a new walk. The saved have a new light in their life. The reality, according to this text, is that lost men are walking around in darkness. They may feel like they know a lot. They're ever learning, but never coming, what? To the knowledge of the truth. Never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They, they don't know the truth. They don't have the light as long We have a new light, beloved, as long as we're willing to turn it on and yield to it. Ephesians 5, verse number 8 says, For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We are supposed to walk as children of light. We see here he's given us the last point is the power of directness. God has declared to us, ye do err not knowing the Scriptures, It's our job to know the Scriptures, to know the Word of God, to let this light be a light to our way and a lamp to our feet. That's what this is. That's what it's for. And we need to have a filter up, a sensor to protect our minds. Are you reading God's Word daily? Are you in church when the doors are open, listening to the preaching of the Word of God? How do we expect to walk as children of light to dispel the darkness that's in this world, uh, well, we need to have a censored mind to be sure that we're keeping out those things that would put out the light.